Welcome to season two, session four of Wattle Partners Market Thinker Series. This season, we'll be talking about themes or concentrating on themes. We'll be focusing on the most technological, demographic and societal trends that are occurring in the world. We'll be speaking to an expert or experts like today um, and identifying what are the most powerful trends. Drew and I obviously sit on the Wattle Partners Investment Committee and every month that we meet, we talk about these trends and you know why we talk about trends is they're incredibly powerful in, in wealth creation and portfolio construction. So this week, we'll be talking about what is now a hot sector, renewable energy. Um, joining us is Toby Bucks and Simon Woods of Ausbill Investments. They run the Global Small Companies Fund. Uh, so today, we start at the top. Drew, do you want to just run us through the opportunity or the theme of renewable? And if Simon and Toby, you want to join in um, post-Drew's introduction? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's uh, obviously incredibly broad subject, renewable energy. Um, it's pretty topical at the moment. I think we had the Yulon Power Station, coal-fired station in Victoria being shut down about four years early mm. uh, this week. Um, and just for some background stats, which I think are quickly out of date as well, uh, the, at last report, there's something like 42% of the net emissions or net carbon emissions across the entire world come from power generation. Uh, I think maybe that was right in 2018, probably <laughs> slightly different now. Um, we've also seen something probably discussed later as the Biden administration come in with a very clear focus on moving towards net zero um, and the potential political implications of that. Uh, and just looking at stats this morning, the, when we're kind of looking for S curves and the themes that, that we talk about. There's, there's stats that say that the growth in renewable energy installation, mainly small scale, so on roofs, is something like a CAGR or a compound annual growth rate of 50% over the last decade. Um, would you kind of share those those views and stats, or am I a bit out of date there, Simon and Toby? <laughs> yeah, so so firstly, thanks for having us, guys. It's We love what you guys are doing, and it's, it's great to be able to talk to your clients and, and your clients that invest with us. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, we think renewables is, a, is a, great, a great opportunity. There is going to be um, a huge change, especially up to 2050 in terms of the, the investment and the investment opportunities that are going to be available in this space. Um, just on a high level, we've seen renewed impetus with the Biden administration coming in. I think immediately after Biden's inauguration, he um, he took the U.S. back into the um, the Paris Agreement. So, with that target of aiming for carbon neutrality neutrality in in 2050, which is a um, which, which is a huge commitment. I was having I was doing some research earlier, and uh, the U.S uses um, consumes about 4 billion kilowatt hours a year, which is obviously a huge, a huge amount of um, energy, mm. but 60% of that is still powered by fossil fuels, about 20% by renewables and 20% from nuclear. So there is a, a huge shift that's got to happen over time to get to these carbon neutrality targets and uh, and we actually think it's probably going to happen quicker than a lot of people 
um, think it is because there's a lot of momentum building in this space. And is that kind of the key driver of where your your view of renewable comes from? Is it the top down or is it, you know, we've, we were talking about how you, you do both top down and bottom up as in looking at the theme, looking for growing markets and looking for good companies. Is, is mo- most of the renewables coming from the top down? Well, top down is really important to us. We've, we've got a great team at Ausbill and we, um, we've got a lot of expertise there and we don't just look at sort of themes per se, but we look at um, the macroeconomic environment, what the, what the Fed is doing um, alongside interesting themes. But um, one, one of the interesting or, or the great thing about identifying a good theme is it's, you, you can see there's lots of potential growth there. But that's that's sort of a two-edged two-edged sword as well. You you really have to find the companies that are going to win, the quality companies, the quality management teams that are going to be able to leverage that growth. Because there are going to be a lot of winners in this space, but there are also going to be a lot of losers as well. And you've really got to understand the company, understand the quality of the management team, how they've delivered in the past, and what they're going to do going forward to grow their earnings and deliver great risk adjusted returns backed by that, that by that strong tailwind of the renewables theme so it's really a bit of both it's a lot of bottom up work but also being really cognizant of the the, the top down tailwinds that are going to help you when you're building a portfolio like the emergence of a whole new sector, though, isn't it? You know, if you think about, you know, break renewables up into lots of sections and, you know, uh, we've got here, you know, batteries and commodities and panels and converters and manufacturing and, you know, the construction of solar solar farms or wind turbines. There's, there's some technology that goes into it. There's probably, um, it, it's like a whole sector is being built. So you, essentially you could build it so many you could build exposure to it so many ways couldn't you you could own the land or you could own the manufacturer you could own the tech or you could own the 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 power companies that are now pushing out green energy or you could there's so many ways to build this kind of get exposure to not just renewable energy but the whole sector that's growing there is there is absolutely and what and what toby and i try and do is is have sort of a really good understanding of the whole (laughs) ecosystem because i think there's definitely areas of the ecosystem where you probably want to avoid that have been commoditized mm-hmm. for instance the manufacture of, of just the solar panels is is largely commoditized in china now you're not going to get companies that are making a huge margin or doing anything particularly sophisticated it is a very bulk commoditized business but for example the some of the hardware and software that supports solar panel installations and the rollout of solar panels is much more interesting. And we think there are some, some great opportunities there as well. So it's really sort of trying to understand the whole ecosystem and then saying which companies are in, in best placed to make, to make money and grow their earnings um, from this. I mean, one thing that's really interesting that's become a sort of again a hot topic within the hot topic of renewables recently is is hydrogen and how we're going to use hydrogen to fill fulfill our green needs going forward and toby's actually been doing a lot of a lot of reading 
on this recently, but there's there's different types of of um, hydrogen generation. The best being green hydrogen, where you use something like uh, solar solar power to mm. generate the the hydrogen because that's very clean. Um, versus grey hydrogen, where you get the hydrogen from natural gas gas, but you actually don't manufacture that hydrogen in a clean manner. So there's actually no no benefit. So it's really for us about understanding that whole ecosystem. And then finding great companies that can own a niche within that within that ecosystem. This is something like investing into Fortescue, that's uh, the biggest iron ore miner, but but you're trying to get into green hydrogen at the same time. I know it's probably too big for the fund. Would would that be something you'd? Yeah, so I think it needs um, to be a bit more material. That, that is. <laughs> We're, that we're is into big. Niche, we're into niche leaders, you guys know, um, and the, like, like Simon said, it's it, it, and you pointed out, Jamie, one of the great things in the small cap universe is there are sort of emerging nascent technologies out there, mm. and then niche plays. So whilst you might get a mega cap go into developing that technology, and often those players are the ones who are successful at getting world domination from commercialising it. Um, at the same time, the asset class offers so many opportunities to come at this from many different angles. And, and, and the most important thing is for us is there a quality management and a niche leader. Because we've seen cycles in all these things, whether it was renewables or you know the commodities boom or the EM boom or the dot-com boom before that, you get a lot of capital that gets wasted. Then um, you've got to make sure that you're with the guys who are uh, allocating the capital in the best way possible. And, and we, we're not looking for that theme specifically. Like you said, Jamie, it's everywhere. So we're looking for the niche leaders and the quality management. When we come to assess the unrecognized growth out there, clearly we're looking at their opportunity set and how they can, they can execute on that. And those, those, I think, are the key areas to make sure you don't get involved in someone who sort of is a value destroyer and sort of wastes capital chasing a moonshoot rather than making sure there's a return for capital, that there's a return for shareholders. This came about, um, you know, I love this guy that wrote uh, the book of Third Industrial Revolution, Rivkin, and he talks about what what is upon us in terms of energy and, and uh, renewables. But at the end of it, <clears throat> he um, talks about what energy prices could be plus 30 years out. And the outcome is that they'll be substantially lower, um, maybe like tenfolds lower. So it, Negative, Fed- I think at one point, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> nearly free, right? So it's a fascinating, um, it, it, I think it's a fascinating presenter um, and fascinating theme. But when you're talking about the evolution of all the continual downward pressure on energy prices, then that's a, that's a theme that's hard to make money out of in a traditional way eg i'm going to buy uh, a portion of a really big solar farm and i'm going to be okay over a 30-year period well if prices fall, are going to fall 90 percent over that period it's nearly impossible to make money yeah and, and again you want to be at the cutting edge there jamie you want to be at the guys who are stepping up the technology curve so mm. that's the most i agree that's one of the most fascinating things about new technology um is is that onward pressure on technology manufacturing production getting the cost curve down hmm. i mean hydrogen we, we just mentioned it i think people are really interested in that because it's it's popped off in the last year right really sure. led by sort of the the eu but we can we can get into that there's a french company um that's uh pretty much developmental 
um, but but has delivered sort of ten percent of the existing hydrogen filling stations in Europe, um, and is backed by the the French government, and is backed by two major players in in the production of equipment. Um, so they, they they get metal pipes and, and flow controls and they, they make stuff happen. But I think the interesting thing is they say already they reckon there are five to six euros a kilo of hydrogen, which is cost parity with diesel. Mm. And that's with a filling station with an electrolyzer mm. that's being fed by a that's being fed by solar power, yeah. um, which is green hydrogen, and they've got an own compressor on site to to to, to pump that hydrogen in, in into a tank in that's cost parity at the moment they've just Already, yeah. 180 million euros um particularly from industry partners who, who also help make the equipment do the distribution and they reckon over the next five years they can get that cost down to one to two euros a kilo so that's four to five years ago to see heavy trucking in europe um at sort of 60 70 percent cheaper than current cost of diesel so that's quite exciting and it shows you that just we're at the tipping point of people saying hell this is exciting let's chuck uh, all of our money at it huge amounts of money knowing that there's no return in the next year or two but just on the assumption now that we're at the tipping edge where that that production capability the manufacturing goes from small scale to actual fully automated assembly lines commercialization and know-how and you, you know, you, you don't know whether it's going to be like the outbreak of the Model T and what that did for manufacturing and the cost of the cost of ownership. But they're telling you, the companies now are telling you that's what they think is going to happen. Um, it's incredibly exciting because you don't just have hydrogen; you've got electric, you've got a, a number of these different things that are all happening at the same time. And Drew, Drew spoke about forests, and you know, everyone didn't think he could execute what he did. And a bit like Elon Musk, right? You need these big thinkers and big dreamers to push these ideas forward um, that create, you know, whole new sectors and change the way that we're doing things. So they talk about it being the biggest investment you know, decades of investment almost in history, isn't it? Because you're talking about redesigning buildings. If you if you listen to the um, presentation that Jamie was talking about, how you not everyone thinks about renewables and goes directly at solar and at wind, but it's redesigned. You know, most of the EU and I think American stimulus is all about um, fixing up old-fashioned practices and, and reusing and it, energy and redistributing energy and water um, and harnessing it all. Absolutely. And I, I think it's become a, going to become a lot more decentralized going forward. So you think about the, the structure of energy production at the moment, it's generally mm. big utilities, big power plants pumping out huge amounts of, of power and being dispersed through, through the grid. What I think is going to happen going forward is you'll just get huge levels of decentralization where it will be smaller generating bases, whether it's solar farms, whether it's mm. um, wind whether it's hydro and then you'll you'll use smart grids so smart technology to manage that that entire ecosystem i, I read recently that they think there's something like um 10 trillion of spending that's got to happen to to hit some of these um 2050 goals and like you say drew it's not just going to be about power generation it's going to be how do we build better buildings, better insulation. It's the whole, the, the entire ecosystem mm. that's, that's changing. But we've got a couple of, couple of companies who are starting work on sort of smart, smart grid 
technology because we think that's going to be um, a really interesting area and companies are going to really be able to provide great a great service there um, and deliver some really good associated earnings with the with the services and products they produce in that space. And is it really, I know government supports there, but it's really the private sector that's pushing it at the moment, isn't it? In, in well, renewables not, I mean, and battery. Yeah, it's certainly said, Drew. I think the political mandate, the, the will of the individual and a political mandate to go about green reform is always the main driver. But what we've seen now is that the world's governments have got to spend heaps both fiscal and, and monetary, to, to get us out of this mess. I mean, still, although the road looks rosy going ahead, it will be rosy because of all the stimulus. We still need that stimulus. And the governments know that. And they've also realised that they've got to, in, in the best of their ability, secure a cleaner and more hospitable world in the future. And so it doesn't take a genius to put those two things together and be like, OK, well, all the stimulus is going on green stuff because we've solved our two biggest problems every government's facing in the Western world at the moment, which is that they need to clean up their environmental act and they need to spend loads to stimulate the economy. So it's an easy win. And, um, and we don't see, and for that reason, we don't see that changing in the near term. If anything, that, that government support is now backed by central banks as well, in a way, if you think about it. So it's just going to continue for a long time. Um, and as you say, Simon and I sat down, we went through our portfolio, but you know, you guys said, can you, you guys want to come on and talk about renewables and what you think and what you hold. So we went through our portfolio and, hmm. you know, I think we said digital advertising first. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an exciting area we can do again, because that was right. changing from, from where it was a year ago. And I think there's a lot of excitement there, but that's a whole nother one. But it's a different one. yeah, when we went through the portfolio, obviously some, that some stocks really stood out. As we know they're very renewable driven, but there's a hell of a lot of stocks there that are still benefiting that, you know, um, are great companies anyway, whether they're involved, they, they've been involved in improving building, buildings, design and environmental features for a long time. And it's now they're all getting a boost. So it's like a lot of things with COVID, whether it was working from home and, and that, that might sort of reverse, but the green investments was a trend that was ongoing and then COVID's just given it a massive acceleration. Mm. We saw the EU for the for the first time in really the EU's history. Um, France and Germany got together and they implemented a huge fiscal plan of 750 billion euros in May last year, and that had a very very heavy green focus. So I think COVID has actually allowed governments to step up um, and announce fiscal plans, fiscal spending plans, very much focused on on green infrastructure. And obviously Biden's um, talking about that. He hasn't done a, a press conference specifically on that, but he has signed, like I mentioned, several executive orders since he's been inaugurated, really focused on um, improving uh, or focusing on climate change and turning back some of the, uh, the legislation that the Trump administration put in place. And how's the, so the EU is doing it by basically, if you want money, you have to invested in infrastructure, in rebuilding, in, in new technology and battery? Is that how they're, they're kind of forcing? That, that's essentially what they're doing. Yeah, they are. This 750 um, billion euro is basically being um, provided to the, the country governments with a, with a strong focus to improve their, um, their carbon emissions. So there's actually more 
um, there's a larger proportion of cash going to some of those countries that are the, the biggest polluters to help them very quickly sort of um, get that get that carbon impact down. And then I know you don't look at Aussie, but it seems like you need to be global when it comes to the renewable supply chain um, or the, the whole theme. There don't seem to be too many companies uh, investment grade in Australia. No, there's, 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 we don't, there's nothing we found um, specifically in uh, here, although we can see this, the, 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 the demand from um, the citizens of Australia for so, solar panels, as you mentioned earlier, is, is growing at a phenomenal rate. So it's very much being led by um, sort of individuals and households mm. in, in Australia. Um, but the, the sort of the bigger the bigger names who are providing this, the bigger names, the, the bigger companies who are who are providing this sort of this this infrastructure and this tech, most of those are offshore. Yeah. Should we pivot to those, Jamie? For sure. You you said you went through your portfolio. Is there anything in your portfolio that you you, you know you picked up and thought, well, that's because of this theme? I'd like said- to think we were aware of them all before, but um. <laughs> There was a lot and running through a lot of different sectors. I mean, like anything, you can make anything as relatable or as tangent as you want. I mean, we've got some clear winners. Do that, please. Um, (laughs) I think they're probably the best ones to focus on. Although there's time that we, there's lots more to talk about because the green movement isn't just about making your building and your car and your energy consumption better. There's, there's a lot more to it in terms of lifestyle change and, etc that we, we, we would say would be slightly related but today let's focus purely on keeping co2 emissions down yeah like the circular economy waste management recycling water yeah yeah, yeah how people want to live their lives in the future how governments actually see cities um what that actually means you know all of that um but um so you yeah, drop we can drop the energy off the renewable topic and then it becomes very wide doesn't it you know from um, nearly everything we do is changing. Correct, correct. The, the whole, the whole ecosystem. But, but three of the three of the names that we've got in the portfolio that we've actually held um, for quite a long time, uh, quite a while before Biden um, Biden got voted in. Um, one, one is Solar Edge, which is a, a leader in uh, solar panel um, hardware and mm. uh, sort of the infrastructure. The other one is is Generac, which has traditionally been a um, a provider of um, uh, generators to the residential and and commercial markets. And the other is Hanon Armstrong, that um, is a, is a specialised lender to um, green um, green infrastructure projects. So happy to talk on any of those three, whatever whatever piques your interest. I think start with SolarEdge. I've seen that pop up. Uh in your portfolio and a few others at different times, I think too. So yeah, they're involved in, is it the converter, um, all these sort of areas or more more, ver- more uh, dispersed than that? Is that like Correct. Canadian solar? Is there another group called Canada Solar or Canadian Solar? There is, so, so Soda Edge were um, an Israeli company started back in, in 2006 by, by five Israeli friends who were um, passionate engineers. Um, who wanted to improve how efficient solar panel arrays are. Generally, solar panel arrays aren't that, aren't 
as efficient as they could be or they, they never used to be because um, it was always they were always operating at the lowest common denominator so the um, the solar panel that was generating the lowest electricity all the others had to sort of line up to that that base level and, and what solar edge did is they developed a whole range of inverters and optimizers that can balance the load between these solar panels and, and vastly improve the the efficiency of solar panel um, production um, the optimizers balance the load and the inverters basically convert the direct current that's produced by the solar panels and then and then can push it back into into the grid or you can use it to charge your your battery your tesla power your power your house and um, so we we started researching solar edge sort of towards the back end of, of 2019 it had run up a lot we thought it was it was reasonably fairly valued at that point and then obviously covid hit and um the stock went all the way down to $75 and we thought that was, we were getting an absolute bargain. We were going to get one of the leaders in, in solar panel infrastructure at incredibly, um, incredibly attractive multiples. So we entered a, we entered a position and obviously it's performed very well um, since then. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the names that we think, think has really got um, a great, a great future. Like the picks and shovels in the, would you consider it that for lack of it? You know, everyone likes that saying that you don't buy the, you don't buy the um, solar panel, you buy the people that make the solar panel actually usable. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So they are, yeah. So they, as we mentioned earlier, the, the cost of solar panels is, is, is coming down, but um, they've really been able to provide great, great hardware, great infrastructure to this industry. And we think, um, you mentioned earlier, Drew, that the, the growth historically of solar panel rollout has been been huge. We estimate in, in the US that's going to continue at between 15 and 20% a year. Um, I don't know if you've read, but California introduced um, legislation at the beginning of last year, the 1st of January last year, that any new house built in California has to be equipped with solar panels. Um, they're the first U.S. state to do it, but I think there's probably a few more U.S. states that will come out and do that. So, so there's the, the, the sort of government assistance helping these names. But one of the things we like about Solar Edge, and it's similar to a couple of other businesses we've, we'll, we'll talk about, is that they sort of started out as this, this niche business providing inverters and optimizers, but they actually want to be a smart energy company. So they're looking at ways to expand. So they're building smart grid technology. They're making acquisitions. So in 2018, they bought a Korean battery manufacturer. So they can also offer batteries now as part of their solution. And more recently, they bought an Italian um, power e-mobility company which basically provides um, powertrains for electric vehicles so when I talk about powertrains I'm talking about sort of um, the electronic motors the motor drive the gearbox the, the batteries the battery management system um, the software and mm. so th that immediately took them into a new a new segment of smart energy and they recently announced a deal with um, Fiat in Europe to um, provide the powertrains for their electric 
Ducato van, which is one of the more popular and um, commercial light vehicles mm. in in Europe. They've been around for a long time. I remember seeing them when I was growing up in the in the UK. But that is a uh, that that's a really exciting development, and we think that's going to continue very strongly. Obviously, Fiat are a very big company, so um, that partnership is very very promising for the future. But they might also um, start doing deals with some of the other big auto EMs. So yeah, we think there's there's a really great future for for Solar Edge and we think they will continue to look for avenues of growth um, and opportunities within the entire ecosystem. And the next one, so Generac, is that diesel generators? Jamie loves a diesel generator. Not diesel. Um, but um, I just, I, really interesting what Cy, you know, Solar Edge for us. And it's an example of great management teams do great things. So, yeah, you're in a stock because it's the niche leader in inverters. But good, great management teams will go out there and do other things with capital. And, and that's why. You know, we said we, we probably mentioned it four times now, but at the start of it, when you asked us, but like, look, the most important thing for us is niche leadership and the great management teams, whether they're growing because of EV and renewables, um, or they're growing because they're in some sort of uh, identity, which cybersecurity or just any of the massive boom areas there are, or, or outdoor leisure, etc. It's got to be the management team to execute, and and I think the Generac story is pretty similar. It's actually really interesting thing that drew and i talk about all the time is management and how to i mean we could go on for hours here is, is how do you tell the management team is truly good you know a lot of fund managers we meet always say oh we're great at assessing managers management and you know sometimes there's really poor management in really good companies and you know that drives the reputation of everyone that's associated with that C-suite. And then there's really good management, and they just happen to work with all four companies that are just totally in the wrong sector and have a really poor product. And you know they do a great job, really good management, but just they're just not right in the right sector in the right environment. So yeah. I find this concept, or we find this concept of great management, and how do you assess that? is a really interesting um, and it gets a lots of lip service, but it, it's, it's one of the harder things I assume you guys do because you, you, oh, yeah. you get involved with management and like them and then suddenly they disappoint and you know, they go, well, are you telling us the truth? Are you not telling us the truth? Or, you know, it's a, it's really powerful weapon, but one that it's, it's a key thing. I mean, it's what you pay us for really as active fund managers and stock mm. pickers is to be able to go and do that. Um, I mean, it, the short answer is, that good, just like good people at anything, whatever their role is in life, social or work or, or whatever, or faith or family, whatever, they're good at everything and they're conscientious to everyone's needs and they allocate energy or whatever well. Mm. And they've got a good idea of the future. So, I mean, that's, and they're good at everything would be our viewpoint. Guns are good at everything. They are sensitive, they're smart, they, they can be aggressive and execute on opportunities. They can look after their own. They can, you know, admit when they're wrong and change. Like all the things that you want to look for in a human, you want to look for in a management team is what we'd say. And therefore the way we go about it is just trying to check all the different areas. So what have they said and done before? You know, um, you know someone as, as well as you know how they're going to react in any situation. 
So that's an easy one. They might not have been around that long, but you can see what they've done in their personal lives. And, and obviously the ESG works an incredible amount of not just audit, but, but thinking and trying to ask the right questions. Mm. But basically, in general, it's saying that the, the, the people who tick the boxes in the most places the best, they're probably the best management team. Well, you can't have a management team that's just focused on profitability and not focused on, let's say, corporate sustainability, because what that actually means is that they don't give a much about the future and they'll take risks. Sure. Is it so, much better getting access to, to management and, and making those assessments in a smaller, more nimble, so you get some ideas about the acquisitions they're making compared to Shell, you know? <laughs> Shell well, trying to make investments into renewables? I mean, yes and no. I mean, on acquisitions, good companies should, the, the acquisition should be very sort of foretold in terms of their strategy and how it fits into their business. So when it comes, the name might be a new one to you, yeah. but what, how much they paid and what it does and what it's going to do for them should be well flagged. Yeah. And in terms of access, COVID's one benefit of COVID, if we can talk like that, um, apart from increased investment in greener future, um, is that the, the number of Zoom calls. So Sai, how, how many calls have we done now since basically last March? I, th I think we're doing three or four a week with management teams, which has been really great for us because we've moved from sort of having to travel to Japan or Europe or the US to jumping on a quick a Zoom call for 45 minutes. I was on um, a Zoom call with one of our, with a, one of our companies last night in Japan. So that access has really ramped up and it's not just um, IR that are taking those calls. Um, it's often um, CEOs and uh, CFOs. So that's been a real, real benefit. And it's not just the companies that we own, we're talking to all the companies we're interested in. It's often their clients and their suppliers, which really gives us a great insight into um, the specific companies that we're looking at. So that's been, that's been very beneficial for us. Yeah, so management is super important. I think on Generac, it was a very similar story to SolarEdge. It, it was a company that was a niche leader doing all the right things, and then they just went and really started ticking even more boxes and doing even more incredible things. Um, and their generators always been very high, high re, re, they're very reliable because they're the backup generators for hospitals and ICU units and stuff, so they don't miss a beat. Um, and I think the main point, if, if we sort of go back, we talk about quality management and niche leadership, that, that's all one. But then in terms of the imagination and, and the sort of trying to work out what's going to happen in the future and the stock picking, we, we knew everyone knows the US grids in a terrible state of disrepair and, and very underfunded for 50, 60 years. And not just the, the wildfire blackouts in California, but then unfortunately for all the poor people in 14 states in the midst of a, a polar wind down to Texas, all the rolling blackouts there um, and our, our view is sort of the US response to anything I mean this energy may may have a little bit more government top down but the top down's likely as Simon said more you've got to put more panels on your house and we think the US response to most things culturally is very sort of local and private it, whether it's healthcare uh, or, or anything else that's your problem mate uh, the safety of your property that's your problem mate um, your power generation, that's your problem, mate. And, and that's always how the US is. Uh, we, we, we sort of feel on things. So giving these generators anywhere from sort of five to 15 grand, depending on how much and, and what you want, basically anyone who's thinking about getting a second car in the States is thinking about getting a Generac generator. But that's the explosion that we saw from the grid. 
Um, yeah. And we saw a company that could capitalize on it. So that, that was sort of the base of the investment thesis. I mean, we can go through the numbers and the management team and the ESG in more detail, but that, that's that's the basis. And then they went and bought an Italian business that distribute, made generators and distributed them to the emerging markets. So that, that gave them global distribution, mm. which was fantastic, um, and, and some Italian manufacturing. Um, and then they went and invested in wall batteries, uh, and they and they also made an investment in smart grid technologies, both the software and the hardware, which is really exciting. And I think that that smart grids, still the name we're trying to get our head around. We've been researching it a lot for the last year and a half, and we, we think we got a pretty good idea of what it all means, as Simon sort of outlined at the start. But Generac invested there, and that's another huge growth area for them. So just good people do good things, and great it's management like, teams. Challenging, challenging your own business model. So you, you're going from generators that have been the core forever and you're pivoting into where the, the growth, even if it's going to break up your business, you, the growth's there, the R&D's there, and there's an opportunity there that you've got experience in. Yeah, or, or you know, like good, good, good management teams should set out a vision for the future that all their clients, employees, stakeholders, it, it, everyone comes along for. That's what you want from a good management team and to execute on it. And I think, as you said, generators said, we can't stay here just telling everyone that you need a generator behind your hospital and behind your house. The future is changing. So where's the future and, and how do we be best positioned as a one-stop shop for the future? And they've gone out and done that. And yeah, it's disruptive in, like you say, Drew, in sort of the near to medium term, um, given that sort of over 80% of their sales are generators. But I don't think it's going to cannibalize it because they're sort of putting together a future that is a smart grid that where you've got a backup generator. Mm. You've got power generation from solar or, or maybe a heat pump or, or wind, depending on how big your smart grid is, your localized area. You still um, need it. Yeah, just, so a smart grid would be like a suburb or a small town, essentially, um, without yeah. industry in it. So it's basically would be resi. No, industries are a big part of it, actually. We, get on to the, we can get onto hydrogen for industry, actually, which is a huge area. Everyone's talking about mobility, but hydrogen for energy is a huge area. Um, but um, yeah, any localized area... This is what it means to us. Um, any localized grid that is connected and not connected at different times to the main grid mm. for reasons of basically power generation, power demand and generation requirements. So anything from three guys who have built, them, built their families little houses on the edge of the national park and, um, and, and, and are very sustainable, their little solar setup with their batteries um, and maybe a small wind turbine, everything from that to, as you say, like a, a vast community, maybe a mining site. Mm. We've got a housing development not far from our place, the old paper mills, where it's, I think, combined batteries, solar panels on the all the industrial part and kind of sharing energy. It's almost its own power station. Yeah. Power storage. I mean, these ideas aren't new. Like, I mean, in the, in, mm. the, in the early 20th century, they had district heating in mm. Europe. And, and this is just basically a, a communal version of power from, from that. But, um, but unfortunately, it's the reliability of the grid that's causing the issues for these, these poor people. You know, how would you like it if you were, you know, your power was cut off for three days regularly? I mean, you'd go out and buy a Generac generator tomorrow. You kind of have it in snow villages too, don't you? They generate their heat and distribute mm -hmm. through the whole village. Yeah. So it's centralised. Yeah, it's fascinating. And and, and so what you're going to need is inverters, as Simon's detailed. Um, mm. You're going to need, so what you're effectively doing is moving power around, storing it and, and delivering it. And to mm. do that, you need lots of copper and you need lots of semiconductors. And getting um, it away from the coal stations at the end of the line. Mm. 
And What's I think the data just, to assume just on the hydrogen for power that we don't invest in it, but um, it, it, it's not all about mobility, right? It's about governments are very focused on 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 trying to deliver on on climate change goals, and and so power consumption at factories and it is a huge one, right? Because you want to run your factory during the day at peak time, and at the moment, even with our renewable mix, we've got no answer for peak apart from gas-fired power, right? But if you can build a green way of storing that energy overnight so that every time you turn your factory on at 6 a.m., it's just delivering on green energy that's hmm. been stored up underneath the next to the plant, rather than every time you turn it on at the day, it's competing with all the AC units in the city, all the cars going around that are charging, you know, everything. Uh, and so that, that that's an exciting area where there's some serious projects in China and in Europe um, producing huge producing and storing huge amounts of power using hydrogen so that, that's another exciting area and all these things need money is that a good uh, segue to your third uh, <laughs> portfolio investment is it Hannah Armstrong they, <laughs> they do yes absolutely so Hannah Armstrong is is a company that we've had in the portfolio for um, a couple of years we bought it in in March 19 um, what they do basically is they are a uh, niche lender to only green infrastructure products. So they don't lend to anyone else. They're, they're structured as a, a real estate investment trust. So they're actually a pretty, pretty boring, boring structure. But what they're doing is, is, is really interesting. So the, the name originally just got filtered out by our screen and I started, I started looking at it and I chatting to Toby and um, we realized this was this was the only company in the US solely focused on fine on financing green infrastructure they've been around for a long time they're over 35 years old they know how to structure these deals and they've they've got two big segments the first is what we call grid connected so that's the bigger um, bigger lending to wind farms to big solar panel uh, projects. And they've also got then what they call behind the meter, which is much more when we talk about sort of the decentralized area of, of renewables. So sort of energy efficiency and distributed solar, whether that's sort of smaller solar farms powering individual, individual businesses or, or a library or helping power a hospital or something and, and storage as well. So um, that, was, that, that really piqued our, our interest. And then we had a look at the growth and sort of the, the demand for lending in this space. And, and we forecast it to be significant and it's actually turned out to be um, a lot a lot greater than we even we even thought it would be they've they've grown their loan books so the number of the the quantity of loans they've written over the last year is up 38 percent and they've got a portfolio of about three billion dollars worth of current current pro projects and they've got a pipeline of another three billion yeah. they expect to write over the next 12 months so um and they're generating um, a yield of about seven and a half percent on this portfolio. So because they've got all these relationships with um, the energy companies, the, um, the project developers, we, we think they're just going to be the, the first port of call when people need financing for these projects. 
they're immediately going to go to Hanon, Hanon Armstrong. So um, again, we so, so it's more like construct finance or development finance, is it? it correct. Rather it than, is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So in essentially, they're just a a dedicated lender mm. to green projects. Like a green very, Exactly, but they're very good at it because that's what they've specialized in. Mm. They know how to price these deals. Mm. They know how to evaluate the risk on those deals, which mm. means that also they can allocate this capital to the mo- most efficient um, efficient uses and avoid those projects that they actually don't think are going to be um, particularly good or particularly sustainable. They're not so, taking commodity risk. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're a lit, are they? They're like a list investment trust? So, so they're a real estate investment trust, which okay. is the is the US um, the US. And structure. how do they expand their balance sheet? Do they keep doing ca- more capital raises, or how does yeah. that work? Out? So they um, they're just borrowing in the in the wholesale markets. Mm. Um, they do issue green bonds as well, which they then okay. use for this um, this financing. So um, we we chat to them every so often, and that's the first question I ask. Mm. I ask them, "How is your access to capital?" Mm. Um, and Similarly to a lot of other US companies we chat to at the moment, um, access to capital is very, very easy at the moment. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Will they be uh, similar to like Octopus? That's from over your way in the UK. Have you heard of Octopus Investments, private company? No, I haven't. I'll have to have a look at those, Drew. Yeah, Origin just took a stake, didn't they? 30%. Uh, okay. So they're like the biggest oh. renewable energy uh, retailer, but they also have a significant... Um, private equity and I think loaning invest loan investments. So they had a few trusts here buying individual solar farms, uh, probably more at the ownership and management, not just the financing. I think I've been away from the UK too long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's uh, nearly time up, but a fascinating session, big theme. I'm sure we'll be talking about it next year and a year after. I appreciate your time and your effort, Simon and Toby. Uh, always great chatting to you. Uh, thanks, Drew. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Drew. Really appreciate no your time. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers,